comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, beginning at verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man was a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the dates of both. Now, now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as your great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven, little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the Gospel of the Lord. We've sung about your amazing grace, God, and we pray that as we look at this uh, story in front of us of Jesus, that that would make more sense to each of us, not just in our heads, but in our hearts, in our lives. Uh, Be speaking to us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been asking right through the summer this question of what do we love about Jesus and looking at some of the places in the Gospels where we find stories that express that. And we focus quite a bit on this theme of grace, um, God giving us what we don't deserve and uh, also what goes with that of forgiveness like we see here in this beautiful story and that's the real focus today. And in this final episode, I think we'll ask a question. It will ask us a question, not just what do we love about Jesus, but do we love Jesus at all? Uh, In any way, do we relate to Jesus to receive from him grace and forgiveness that he wants to pour into our lives? 
So let's look down at what we read. I wonder if you heard it, as uh, Michelle read it through. Uh, Did you react at all to it? Did you identify at all with the uh, bloke in it or the woman in it? Did you think, you know, the Pharisee's got a point. He's just someone doing his best, having dinner with his friends, and this woman comes barging in to his house. She shouldn't be doing that. And Jesus certainly shouldn't be approving of it. Did you think something along those lines? Or did you think, you know, I'm just like that woman. All I have to offer God is my sin. But I'm so grateful he forgives me. More one, more the other, somewhere in between, or, or, or none of the above. You just re- read the story and think, okay, that's a story. I'm staying neutral. What, what we find here is actually the story of two people who are both out of step with God. It's just that only one of them knows it. And that's what we'll see as we look in. So let's use our imaginations a bit. We've got the scene. We've got Simon the Pharisee. He's a religious leader. And he is someone who, in his life, he does everything he can to be a good person, to keep the rules and obey God's law. That's the kind of bloke he is. Jesus is a new teacher in town. And uh, he invites him round for dinner. And we assume he writes a bunch, bunch of his Pharisee friends as well. They probably want to check him out. As far as they can see, they're the establishment. They're the religious, respected people. They're going to be judging Jesus to see how he gets on. Let's see what he's got to say for himself. The meal would have been in a courtyard in a a bigger house and um, a table in the middle, and the men would be sort of reclining, leaning down on, uh, well, sort of lying on the ground on cushions and uh, sort of low couches. And the idea is they're facing towards the table where they can reach the food, Um, and that means their feet are behind them. So they've got everything just so. They've all nicely hoovered, theology books lined up neatly, Waitrose food in the oven, sophisticated conversation all happening when all of a sudden in comes the uninvited guest. And they look round and everyone knows who she is. She's someone with a reputation. Verse 37, Luke tells us, she lived a sinful life. Doesn't say more than that, doesn't elaborate. It may well have been uh, politely describing the fact that she was a prostitute. That's what people have assumed over the years. But it doesn't actually say that. But whatever it was, she was someone with a reputation that everyone knew it, and she knew that everyone knew it. But when she heard that Jesus was there, she just had to go and see him. And so you can imagine what she's had to go through. She's had to push through all these invisible barriers of like the condemnation and judgment that she faces from other people. And she goes to Jesus and she takes her most valuable possession with her. Not just a sort of little spray of perfume, but a whole jar of it worth a lot of money. And she approaches this courtyard, a circle of men with their hackles rising. And as she reaches the edge, she can't go any further. She just breaks down, standing behind Jesus, weeping, overcome with the emotion of the moment. Her tears start landing on Jesus' feet. And actually they start washing off the dirt from outside, the dust and dirt of the street. And so she, she's, she's crying and 
uh, and she's sort of slightly embarrassed. She's got Jesus' feet all wet, so she, reach, she lets down her hair, reaches down, and starts drying them. And once she's down there, well, okay, I've got this perfume with me. She starts kissing his feet and pouring the perfume. It's a spontaneous kind of overflow of how she's feeling in the moment. I don't know what you make of that, as you kind of imagine it. It's a pretty intimate thing, isn't it? Even in our culture, that would get a reaction if someone did that in a public space. And in their traditional culture, well, verse 39, you can read what Simon the Pharisee, the dinner party host, thought. And again, I'm assuming that's a polite version of what he actually thought in verse 39, isn't it? The only person who isn't phased in this whole scene is Jesus. He accepts what she's done for him. And he talks Simon the host through it in verses 44 to 46. And he honours the woman and basically tells Simon off. He talks about all the things a host was supposed to do for an important guest. Water to wash the dirt off the feet from the journey. A kiss of greeting. That's how you're supposed to greet an honoured guest. Oil on the head. Different customs in those days. Simon hasn't done any of those things for Jesus. The woman, though, has done all of it and more. And if actions speak louder than words, Simon's actions show his indifference towards Jesus. The woman's actions show her love. Why? What's the reason behind the woman's behaviour? Verse 47, Jesus explains, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. Notice Jesus doesn't say that the order is that she's done something for him and now she's done all this extravagant thing, therefore her sins are forgiven, that she's earned it some way. He's actually saying it's it's the other way around. Before she arrived, her sins have been forgiven. Uh, and the fact that she's made that journey and forced through all the, all the invisible barriers and, and arrived and then had love just spontaneously come out, that's the evidence. That's action speaking louder than words. That shows what's already gone on in her heart. So just a pause for a think about ourselves. Um, as we think about the woman... Is there anything there about us that we've discovered as we relate to God? She's a wonderful example, this woman, of a real confidence before God that she now has. A certainty that actually God wants us all to have through Jesus. A confidence that frees us from what everyone else thinks. That's something, isn't it? A certainty that we're forgiven. And so a confidence to live our lives, ultimately for an audience of one, because we know the love of God and actually it's his approval that matters more than anyone else's. That's the one, we'll come back to her at the end, but let's focus for a moment on Simon the Pharisee because as we saw in verse 39, he's disgusted by her. And more than that, he's disgusted by Jesus because Jesus approves of her and welcomes her. How can he be from God and welcome sinners? That's what he says, isn't it? Do you see the assumption Simon's making? The woman's a sinner. 
He sees himself in a completely different category because, you see, he's religious. And he has no idea at this moment that his religion is actually creating a barrier between him and God. But actually, his attitude to Jesus shows that it is. And so Jesus helps him by asking a question. He says, two people owed money to a loan shark. One owes 500 days' wages. So roughly two years' worth. And you think, gosh, how much money is that today? That is credit cards maxed out with no light at the end of the tunnel. The other owes 50 days' wages. A couple of months behind, not so bad, but still in debt. And both have their debts cancelled. How will they feel? Both will be grateful, but Jesus assumes that probably the one who's been forgiven the most will be the most grateful. There's a logic there, isn't there? Actually, using the language here, um, I, I don't think actually maybe he is imagining a loan shark. He's imagining maybe a rich uncle. Um, because he says, he uses the language of love. You've been, the one who's been forgiven the most will, will, will love the most. We'll actually say about that rich uncle, he's the most amazing bloke, you know. He forgave me 500 days' wages. I was so out, out of my depth, I couldn't cope. I was bankrupt. And, and maybe they will be in the rest of their lives actually relating quite well to that rich uncle because they realise, goodness me, he's actually quite kind. I took him for granted. But I'm going to actually try and uh, relate to him well from now on in. So Simon, uh, this Pharisee who's been so standoffish with Jesus, Jesus is saying to him with this simple picture, he's saying, Simon, do the maths. Think about your attitude to me and do the maths. You see, for Simon, this very religious man, trying to keep all the rules and being quite good at it compared to other people, he got into the habit of thinking sin was other people's problems mainly, you know, like that woman, but not really being honest about his own sin. Maybe he was a 50 days wages kind of sinner, but even then he still needed to be forgiven. He was still in debt. But as a religious person, he may well have made him a big, big mistake of thinking that he could pay off the debt himself by continuing to be really religious and sort of working off the debt, not realising that he could, only way to get rid of it was to be forgiven it. The woman, on the other hand, just sees things clearly. She's under no illusions. She sees her bankruptcy and goes to Jesus for rescue. If you think about it, this could have been the most amazing dinner, couldn't it? Everyone could have left the room buzzing. Do you know what happened when we went round to Simon the Pharisee's house? You know so-and-so. Everyone knows her. She came in. She's been forgiven by God. A completely new start. She's a changed woman. They could have been buzzing with excitement. But Simon's reliance on religion stopped all that. You can pretty much draw it on a graph. Um, this is my geeky kind of... I always quite enjoyed maths. Anyway, forgive me that. Um, 
Across the x-axis, you've got your awareness of sin. Up the y-axis, you've got your trust in God's grace. And the graph is y equals x. It's directly proportional. Our love for Jesus, our awareness of sin and our trust in God's grace is directly proportional to our love for Jesus. Does that make sense? So, the, um, the man, Simon, um, well, the woman, the woman, she's off the chart, isn't she? She's, she's over here somewhere, she's very aware of her sin, but she's totally trusting God's grace, and she pours out her love for Jesus. Simon thinks, it's interesting, he thinks he's down here. Well, he is very down here, near, the, near, near zero in his awareness of sin, and so near zero in his trust for God's grace, and so near zero in his love for Jesus. That's not reality, because you see, Simon's awareness of sin needs to go up. He needs to discover the way the Bible actually talks about the what goes wrong in our lives. It's not breaking the odd rule here and there. It's actually the, all the ways we replace God in our lives with something or someone else, usually ourselves. We make our own ambitions, our own philosophies, our own desires, our own dreams the centre of life and push God out. We can even do it with religion, as Simon was doing. We make religion the centre of our lives and push God himself out rather than God being at the centre. And actually everything else in life, all those things we've talked about, have all got their place, our ambition, our passions, our philosophy, it's all got its place, but with God at the centre, it has its right place. So we mustn't make the mistake, like Simon did, of of just, well, pointing at him and saying, well, you know, gosh, he's the baddie in this story, boo, hiss. I'm so glad I'm not like Simon. That wouldn't be the right way to read this, I would suggest. It's actually a spiritual thing. We need God's Holy Spirit to convict us of actually the way that we replace God in all kinds of ways in our lives. And we also need God's Holy Spirit just to show us how good he is. And that actually there is much more grace in God than there is sin in me. And that's the work God wants to do in all of us. I wonder whether we'll open ourselves to that this morning, whether we'll ask him for his help to kind of make sense of these things, to to, to be aware of what's wrong in our lives, but also to be aware of his goodness and his desire to forgive. The reason we sang Amazing Grace a moment ago is because the writer, John Newton, was really aware of that. I mean, he described himself in that opening line as a wretch. He was very aware of his sin. But he sings throughout, uh, we sing his song throughout, of amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. He's so aware of God's forgiveness and of Jesus' salvation. And a great habit to get into is to find time daily to say to God where we've gone wrong, to thank him afresh for forgiveness and for Jesus' sacrifice and to meditate on the greatness of his grace, to try and find the time to do that daily is is so helpful. What do we love about Jesus? He forgives our sins. And as that sinks into our minds and sinks into our souls, it will stir in us a love for Jesus so that we'll tell other people about him like that amazing imaginary uncle we were talking about we'll say he is good I didn't used to think so but he's good and we'll make sacrifices for him that's how it was for this woman if you think about we'll return to her and her interaction with Jesus just to conclude and if you think about it Jesus was 
possibly the only man she'd ever met who didn't try and take advantage of her. He's certainly the only man she ever met who was pure through and through, totally pure himself, but didn't condemn her. If we can imagine her looking in the mirror each day, getting ready for work, remembering what everyone in that town said about her, all the stuff she'd heard, all the judgment. And we can imagine the shame and the guilt that she would have felt before herself, let alone before anyone else. And then one day, we don't know how, she heard Jesus' message of forgiveness through him. And she believed it. And it was like water to her soul. And as it came in to her, that it can all be forgiven, it overflowed from her. And she heard Jesus was at this man's house. I just have to go and meet him and do something to it. Let me grab this jar of perfume and go there. And then it all flooded out. And that's what we see in what we read. Notice as Jesus forgives her, he doesn't excuse or justify her sin. Uh, He talks in verse 47 about many sins. But the point he's making there is that every single one of them is covered by him. He's not saying that sin doesn't matter or that she can just carry on with her previous lifestyle. I can't imagine her carrying on with her previous lifestyle after what we've read. Can you? She's a changed woman. He's not saying sin doesn't matter. He's just saying he totally pays the cost. When, when someone's done some wrong against you, uh, if you're going to forgive them, it's always going to cost, isn't it? If someone's wronged you, you either make them pay or you forgive it. And then you've got to pay, because it usually costs to forgive, even if it's just the pain of what's been done to you. And the heart of the Christian faith is God saying, let me take it for you. Jesus says to us, we're spiritually bankrupt, but he says that because he came to pay for us, to die for us, and to cry out, it's finished, it's paid for. Every wrong the woman had done, every self-righteous thought that Simon the Pharisee had had. The sin of every man, woman, boy and girl who puts their faith in Jesus. And to know that day by day, if you don't already know it, it's it's there for you as well. Jesus is a prayer away. Uh, But for all of us, uh, to know this, we can be like this woman in her confidence. (laughs) There's something amazing there. As we inhabit this forgiveness that's declared... Uh, hearing what Jesus says at the end to her is, is what he says to everyone who's been forgiven. He says, your faith has saved you, verse 50. Go in peace. And life, the Christian life, isn't trying to manufacture love for Jesus. It's about a faith in the fact that he says we're forgiven, so we are forgiven. It's receiving it. It's the Holy Spirit showing us how deep our need is, but how limitless God's grace is. And just the magnitude of Jesus' love, what it costs for him to die for us. And as we soak in that, it will change us. We receive God's love and then we show it to him and to our neighbours as we live our lives.